Now it's time for the Rural News with Sally Murphy in Ōtautahi. And Sally, Rye Valley farmers are happy access to the town has been restored. Kia ora Charlotte. Yeah, the road between Blenheim and Rye Valley reopened today and Wakakotahi says State Highway 6 linking Blenheim and Nelson should be fully open by tomorrow morning, weather permitting. Slips have blocked much of the route since storms lashed the region nearly two weeks ago. Rye Valley farmer Steve Lowe says locals can't wait as the town has been a ghost town. Like Rye is just, there's nobody there really apart from locals, which is pretty hard on the um, pub, the cafes and stuff like that because they really rely on that through traffic coming and stopping and you know getting a coffee or a pie or something like that. So I think for those local businesses, it'll be a huge, huge step. The cafe is open, but not full hours because there's just no point. They're not making any money. So that through traffic will make a huge difference. Meanwhile, farmers from Canterbury and students from Lincoln University have been helping flood-affected farmers, some even arriving with their own diggers. Steve Lowe says it's amazing how much of a difference 20 people on one property can make. He says things are getting back to near normal at his place, but it's very tiring work. Fixing wires, pulling wires back out, putting insulators back in. Trying to find water leaks was a big one for us. A lot of our pipes have been um, snapped off at joiners and stuff like that. So just long days, trying to get things back to what it was before the flood. It's just going to be the little things that you find later on. Like we've still got to do a long way along our river, probably about four or five k of pine wire fences there have still got to be put back up. It's just time. Literally, that's all it is. Um, the bigger problem will be probably the next rotation and seeing how the grass bounces back from the silt and the mud. And the cows just don't like eating it. They, they hate. Like my girls at the moment have been on silts and grass basically with a lot of baleage for the last three or four days and they just don't do well like I mean if you imagine yourself if you sprinkled a little bit of silt and mud on your food it's not that great hopefully we get a little bit of rain on Sunday and that'll help wash some of that off as well. Steve Leo says calving has gone surprisingly well considering what the cows have been through. Meanwhile, Fonterra says only four farms remain inaccessible for milk tankers in the Rye Valley area. Farm sources Charles Ferguson says those farmers are still having to dispose of milk on farm. He says their staff are also on farms helping, and while it's, a very, while it's very tough going, he's hopeful looking forward. Once you sort of get through the short term, then you have to make a plan for what you can do with your with your farm, right, and what sort of short term decisions you need to make. Need to make. So there might be more supplement. There might be, there might be a bit of destocking. There might be, uh, you know, you might see what else you can do with your animals. I, I'm really confident that a lot of these dairy farmers will actually end up having a reasonable season, uh, just once they get through this short term pinch and get a plan sorted. That's Charles Ferguson. A survey of farmers hit by severe flooding in Gisborne and Wairoa earlier this year shows just how widespread the damage is. In March, heavy rain caused slips, flooding and power outages. Just two weeks later, ex-tropical cyclone Feely hit the same areas. A survey of 250 affected farmers estimated property damage of $11 million, but almost half of those surveyed felt they they would not be covered by insurance and will be out of pocket for repairs. Gisborne Wairoa Federated Farmers President Toby Williams says some farmers still can't access parts of their land, so don't know the extent of the damage. It'll be a year or two years before um, some stuff's repaired, if not longer for, for some farmers. Um, some, you know, when your fence lines move, um, sometimes you need to wait for that ground to stop moving before you can actually put a permanent repair in. Um, so you put a few st- iron standards and a bit of netting down and um, that's all you can do, and you just keep patching it up for the next couple of years until the ground stops moving, put some popper poles in, and cross your fingers. He says the report shows some land was so damaged, farmers not, might not bother repairing it.
There's some guys who will look at the opportunities for carbon farming and things like that now, putting pine trees in. There's still a lot of uncertainty around, you know, what long-term in terms of permanent forest, what you're able to do. For us, what we're doing is we're going back to these damaged areas and we're putting poplar and willow poles in. That's the job for the last next couple of days. And that helps stabilise the rest of the ground around there. That's not an option for, for some people. You know, some people have big areas, two bigger areas, or uh, maybe t- areas are too small, or their farms are too small to, to worry about doing that. So there will be some that, you know, some parts of farms that will never be, you know, farmed again, I suppose. But that's a decision for probably another, another year or two away to see how it recovers. That's Toby Williams. Tomatoes NZ says we could end up relying on imported tomatoes as more growers leave the industry. The group has been collating information from growers to create a list of their concerns. It includes rising input and energy costs, labour shortages and biosecurity incursions. Group chair Barry O'Neill says 25% of small to medium growers have left the industry in the last four years alone. When the focus is on a price in a supermarket of $14 a kilo, people are not understanding what's going on and the fact that there is very limited supply in the markets and the fact that with prices that high, we'll have uh, imports of product from other countries, mainly Australia. I don't think that's what we as New Zealanders are wanting to see happen, that our our fruit and vegetable domestic uh, um, production and supply is uh, going to become more reliant on uh, imported produce. Barry O'Neill says there are some solutions to the issue, such as transitioning to decarbonised heating, but that requires a lot of investment. And just lastly, the Ministry for Primary Industries Director-General says an outbreak of foot and mouth would probably cost the country less than previously thought. Concern of an outbreak here has been growing since cases were detected in Indonesia in May. Ray Smith recently told the Primary Production Committee the last estimate was done in 2014, but a lot more is known about disease outbreaks now. The 2014 number was a sort of $16 billion impact on the economy. So in today's figures, that would be about $25 billion. Um, we are reworking these at the moment. So John uh, Walsh and his readiness response team and our economic intelligence unit are working with others just to recast that. I mean, we've got a lot more knowledge now. The BOGUS program has been helpful in the sense of giving us a lot more direct information about kind of how these things might play out and what the what the cost might look like. And so uh, we'll be updating that. But we, we expect the cost to probably be a bit lower than was forecast in 2014, where there was less information on which to on which to build those forecasts. Ray Smith says good progress is being made in Indonesia, where they've begun vaccinating cattle against foot and mouth. And that's the rural news for today. Koirate Purongo o te taifenua.